Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode eight of Here's the Thing, Eight Minute Movies. It's that way round. I wrote down everything I had to say in one go, so I didn't have to do five takes this time, like last time. Hooray! What do you want, a medal? I do. I do want a medal. In fact, I'm not going to continue the recording until I've received a medal. Well... This was here's the thing. Eight no, I, movies. Um, <laughs> we we never finished it after all. Um, okay. Um, my name is Kieran. I am saying that because my script says say your name. My name is Peter. And you don't have a script, do you, Peter? <laughs> no, I'm just um, <laughs> flying by the seat of my pants. What does that mean? I don't know. Uh, never mind. Um. How am I doing this week, Peter? Um, you're doing um, all right. You've had, you know, this week's had its ups and downs, but that's um, uh, what they're calling the new normal, I think. And I think that you are doing okay, too. Mm. There. Why do we bother with this section? Um, <laughs> <laughs> the pleasantries are over with and dispensed with. Get them out of the way. Now for the oh. unpleasantries. <laughs> now for the unpleasantries, indeed. This is my favourite part of the podcast because it's not my turn to introduce the concept. Ah, right. That's true. You did it under great protest last time, so it's my turn. Uh, so, as a pretty much an expert about the thing, Kieran... nationally renowned. Yeah, a renowned expert of the thing. Um, Kieran has... Um, got me a relative thing novice to join him in watching the film in eight minute chunks at a time and then discussing in some detail uh those eight minute chunks and doing some associated activities such as uh the little game where we each have a thing dinger i don't know how i feel about that name <laughs> which we use to uh, ring a bell whenever someone says the thing and they are not referring to the monster, the thing, in the 1982 film, The Thing, uh, and they are not referring to the 1982 film, The Thing itself, and they are not describing this game that I'm describing at the moment. Those are the only valid uses of the phrase, the thing. Everything else needs to be dung like this. I am absolutely sure that you don't conjugate that to dung. I'm standing by it. Um, <laughs> uh, apart from that, I have been asked to predict what happens next in the film. Just to be clear, I have seen the film a number of times before, but I do not watch it on an almost hourly basis in the same way that Kieran does. You can't watch it on an hourly basis. It's nearly two hours long. You watch it you know, on like one and a half speed or whatever. Like you... <laughs> <laughs> That's why I miss all those details and why we're examining it in such excoriating detail. Uh, yes, this is, I think, some effort perhaps to make me as um, into the film as he is. I don't know why else we'd be doing this. It's some weird experiment of some description. This is um, definitely an amusing diversion on the road to the grave. <laughs> now, oh, as has become tradition at this point, you must give me the word that we're not using instead of section or segment. I looked mm -hmm. one up before this, but I forgot to write it down, so I might as well have not bothered. 
Um, I to, this time I want to go with partition. Partition. Oh, that's mm-hmm. uh, that's nicely formal. It sounds very technical. Yeah. Uh, we move into the second, I guess, partition of this podcast called "Let's Not Talk About the Thing," where I will talk about something that's similar to but legally distinct from the thing. No, like a something that's tangentially related to it. What have you got for us this week, Kieran? I'm going to talk to you about the novelization. Ah. Uh, now, this was called Who Goes There, wasn't that? No, that's the short story that it's based on. The novelization is called The Thing because it's based on The Thing, and audiences <sighs> are stupid. The novelization of the film, not the original novel. Yes, we yeah, talked right. about that last time. Yes, okay. All right, I'm with you now. I, I'm kind of hurt you didn't remember. The Thing was published by Alan Dean Foster in 1982 alongside the film. It's a novelization of a filming script of a reboot of a film based on a short story based on an unreleased novel. So Alan Dean Foster just novelizes everything, basically, doesn't he? Alan Dean Foster is indeed famous for his film novelizations, and as with a lot of them, this is based on an early filming script. So it includes some scenes which didn't make it into the film. Includes the section where the dogs escape and try to make their way across the ice, being hunted down by some of the men on snowmobiles. The ending more closely follows the original script, where the men try to fortify the break room and kill it with electricity, much like what happens in the 1951 film, and it hunts them down by smashing through the walls. Personally, I find it an entertaining enough read, and there are some interesting glimpses into the original script, but there are things in there which were either added to bulk the novel up or which were wisely trimmed from the script before filming. Uh, my favorite bit of the novel is where they have to convert the Norwegian videotape from PAL to NTSC so they can watch it. Not <laughs> captivating filmmaking. As I said, it was written by Alan Dean Foster. Uh, he tends to be a love him or hate him kind of author, but you certainly can't say he isn't prolific. I'm to think whether I actually have ever read any Alan Dean Foster novelizations. I feel like I have, and I wasn't that mad on them. Um, which is probably why I haven't continued to do that. <laughs> I He's... can't think. What, oh, right, right. Yes, fine. Yeah, uh, maybe I read the novelization of The Dig, which was a video game that he did. Not, not yeah, yeah, he, he wrote that one. That's that's yeah. actually quite a good one. Um, I don't remember though. Maybe maybe I'm just making that up in my head. Uh, that seems like the sort of thing I might have done though. He's um he's seventy four now. And he's been publishing since 1968. Mm. And very excitingly for us, um, his first book, which was published in 1972, was edited in part by John W. Campbell, the author of the original Who Goes There, which ah. is based on. So that nicely ties everything together, doesn't it? Uh, yeah, it does. Uh, so he's done he's done some of his own stuff, but yeah, a lot of novelizations. That I'm looking at a list here. There's like. Star Trek novelization, Star Wars novelization. He's well known for doing some of those, mm. um, and just various uh, novelizations of different uh, uh, different movies. Uh, I got here uh, Dark Star. Remember Dark Star? Yes, I remember Dark Star. Mm. He's published more than a hundred and twenty books. Mm. That's that's a lot of books. Yeah. In 2008, he won the Grand Master Award from the International Association of Media Tie-In Writers, a society which I privately believe only has one member. (laughs) 
Did you hear he's actually in the news now at the time of recording? Uh, no. Why? As you just brought up, he wrote the novelizations of the original Star Wars films, which Disney mm-hmm. acquired the rights to as part of their purchase of the Star Wars IP in 2012. Mm-hmm. And they've decided, extremely underhandedly, to just stop paying him royalties on oh. the basis that his original deal was with Lucasfilm, which is a bit fucking shifty. Um, yeah. They're also not paying his alien royalties on the same grounds, so that's fucking awful. Yeah. That seems no good at all. But yeah, how many did you say? Books in total, 120. 120. Since he's, he's 1970... 68, 68. 1968. Still, that's that's still a lot. That feels like you'd just always be writing. Yeah, that's, uh, that's 2.3 books a year. Yeah, 2.3 books a year. I feel like it probably takes a good half year to write a novel. That that feels like a good amount of time to write a novel in. So yeah, you're you're basically constantly writing since 1968. Just I, I would be surprised if this man does anything else. Uh, he he has a very active lifestyle. Actually, there's a lot of traveling and things. Um, I certainly spent quite a lot of time reading about him on his website while researching this. You can write on the move though. So is he just always like he's like climbing up a mount him with a typewriter on his back or whatever um and i have no basis to think this but i imagine he dictates constantly so yeah, um, a gramophone on his back uh, yeah I, why are we envisioning him with old timey devices he's probably got a computer <laughs> i don't know why he's mountaineering in my imagination as well there's no reason i've been given to think that he's a mountaineer i've seen the photo of him with a lemur okay well, that's who's probably dictating to. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you, you think to um, yeah, to his trained Lima, who um, yeah. writes down everything he says. Citation needed. Um, mm-hmm. At the risk of slipping two things into, let's not talk about the thing. Uh, I'm just going to touch briefly on the things by Peter Watts. Ah, it was published in 2010 by Clark's World magazine. And is effectively a bit of the thing fan fiction, but it's so good many thing fans have read it or listened to the great audio version, which is also available on their site. It's the story of the thing, but told from the point of view of the thing. An exciting glimpse into the psyche of a totally alien consciousness. Uh, I don't really want to say too much more about it, except you should definitely listen to it or read it. I'd say I'd put the link in the description, but this isn't YouTube, and I don't know how to do that, so just just Google it. All right then. I uh, I have not read this, although I have heard you talk about it before. It's uh, it sounds interesting. Peter Watts is an author who I haven't really read. I've tried to a couple of times, but I found the prose a little bit difficult to get into. But I think that's just me. Yeah, um, one of his novels, Blindsight, is one of my favorite books. There are some companion books to it that come with the frankly terrifying term sidequel, which I'm not as into. But Blindsight is very good. Also, um, if you, while you're reading and or listening to the the things, pick up a copy of the novelization, but definitely wait until after Disney have been shamed into paying royalties again first. Mm. Wait, wait until then, and then buy it. Right. Well, now into the main partition of this podcast. Let's talk about the thing, the section in which we talk about the thing. Uh, yes. So where I, were we? I said partition, and then I described it as a section. What's wrong? Yeah. With me? Yeah. No, you got it all wrong. Ah, <sighs> fucked up. I hang my head in shame. 
pull yourself together, man. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I've been drinking. I'm sorry. Yeah. Okay. In this partition, I usually check up on what you thought was going to have had happened next. Yes. That conjugates. That's that's normal. That's what normal people say. Mm-hmm. Um, so you thought they return to the base and there is some sort of argument. I think this basically happened, is what I'm going to say about this. Yeah, it, it pans out, not not as immediately as you might yeah. have thought. So, pre them going back, there's a little bit of an outside conversation, which mm. also involves, like, maybe not a full-blown argument, but at least an, a disagreement about how they're going to handle the situation. Yeah, I, th- I, th- I think lightly disagreeing with someone is uh, doesn't count as a full argument, but I'm prepared to give you the full points on this occasion out of the kindness of my own heart. All right, okay. These points are completely meaningless. And, and also, I'm not keeping track of them. <laughs> and your pity is worthless to me. Um... <laughs> the next subpartition is where we review who you think is infected. Um, mm. So... You think that Norris is infected? Um, yeah. Who, who's not infected? Blair. Again, we think he's been exposed when he was elbow deep in that monstrosity, but he, he's safe right now. Well, we haven't seen him for a while. He's locked away in his little shack. Mm. Fuchs, you think, is also not infected? Windows, Knowles, Gary, and Clark. Mm. Uh, and who is dead? Bennings. Bennings yes. is dead. Rest in peace, George Bennings. I'm going to upgrade someone to not infected. Ooh. ooh. Um, I'm not sure if you're allowed to do this, but... but Heck, what even are the rules? Go for it. Oh, wait, sorry. Hang on. Um, we're just reviewing who I thought... Yes. We're not, we're not changing our mind. Yeah, we do this bit moment. twice. Yeah, yeah, okay. This is, right, the, um, this is the 17th time we've done this. Yeah, I know. I just get I get confused <laughs> about the order of this specific thing because I I because we've already watched the segment, right? <laughs> yes, yes, yes. We we we've already watched the segment. That's and true. And so I'm already thinking about the the who is infected question. You are. God damn it! I need to leave this bit in the podcast now because that was a really good thing. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, well, never mind. It's not like I do any editing anyway. Um, right. It's time for us to enjoy moments, minutes, time units, 56 to one hour and four or 64, maybe. Yeah. An hour, an hour and four. That's, that's how normal people would track it but a normal person would not do this. And again, we strongly urge you to not listen along with us at home. Yeah, especially if this is your first thing experience. Yeah, just just get some popcorn. Watch the film. Watch maybe the with film. a friend. Yeah. You know, uh, well, maybe with a friend if you're not swarming with a virus. Mm. All right, how this shenanigan works, which should be practically second nature to you now, is that Mm -hmm. I will read a bulleted list of stuff that happened. And if you want to say something about the stuff that happened, chime in. And if I want to say something about the stuff that happened, I'll chime in. 
And if neither of us has anything to say, I'll just carry on awkwardly. Yeah, so my prediction for this in advance of you going through this list is that there most of this, uh, which is a shorter list than usual, by the way, uh, we're not really going to have very much to say about, but there's going to be one or two points in this list, which we're probably going to talk about endlessly. Oh, good. Well, I, li- I like the idea of a pre-listen prediction. So let's let's get right into it and see whether you are right or not. Mm-hmm. MacReady leaves Blair in the shed. The men discuss their situation. So the uh, main discussion here is about whether to just hole up and wait or not. Um, and I think it's Copper that says, yeah, we should just hole up and wait now for this whole thing to blow over and spring to arrive. <laughs> um, and... Um, McCready says, no, we can't do that because there's things about... Yep, yep, that's the uh, that's the crux of their argument, all right. It does seem fairly obvious, to be honest, that um, you shouldn't just go, oh, well, let's just wait and see what happens. Uh- <laughs> yeah, I feel like probably everyone's just kind of hoping that the situation is resolved now, but maybe they're in slight denial about that yeah blair shouted all that crazy stuff but we've locked blair up so maybe maybe it's fine now maybe we don't have to listen to any of his dire warnings whatsoever i don't think that this is necessarily a suspicious thing for copper to say because i don't think that copper is infected for reasons that we'll get into later Hmm. using your dirty foreknowledge well no Um, there that that is part of it but there are other reasons as mm. well uh child here gets one of my favorite lines in the um in the whole film if i was an imitation a perfect imitation how would you know if it was really me and um i end up thinking about that line like a lot when i'm watching this film when i'm not watching this film mm. i mean how would you it's impossible right yeah this is uh, and and this is one of the things like I, I'm second guessing everything that everyone's saying now, obviously, yeah. um, which you're kind of supposed to be, um, I guess. But this is one of the things that makes me suspect him less because if you were a perfect imitation that was trying to hide, I don't think that you'd really want to be drawing attention to the fact that it's really difficult to to tell an imitation from uh, a not imitation. No, 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 quite. At the risk of changing the subject a little bit too far, this kind of makes me think about the Star Trek transporter problem. Mm. All right, so the transporter creates a copy of you at the destination, then kills the original. Mm. But because it's a perfect copy of you, nobody ever suspects that it's not a transit system it's a murder machine yeah um yeah i still don't know how i feel about that problem though um it's it's related to the whole kind of philosophical problem of consciousness which is Con- the continuity of consciousness yeah you don't you, you don't get that if i create a copy of you and then i whack you in the head with a hammer yeah, but do we? My whole worry about it is: is continuity of consciousness itself even an illusion? 
Um, so is the whole thing fake to begin with? Right. I, um, I mean, I, I've thought about that as well because yeah. I've had this conversation with you before. Yeah. But um, even if it is, like, imagine if, you know, it's just a trick your mind is playing on you continuously, like while you're awake and then, yeah. you know, you go to sleep and that's it. It's, you're just booted up as a new, fresh yeah. instance of me. I would say I'd still involving an artificial process that we've invented in the way feels like you can't sweep that one under the rug. Like, um, so say if sleep or unconsciousness effectively kills you in the same way, then whatever. Mm-hmm. Right. Cause I, um, like the thing that's going around as me feels the same yeah. as, as I would. But uh, like, if I generate a copy of me somewhere else and then shoot myself, I don't think you can say that's me. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I like, I feel like a lot of this, hinges on assumptions that we're making about how consciousness mm. works that are very difficult to uh, verify because it's based on our very subjective experience of it. Um, you can't open the box with the crowbar that's inside. Mm. Uh, so th- I used to uh, be of the opinion that, yeah, it, that because of the con- problem with the continuity of consciousness, the tran- with the transporter problem, yeah, you would be killing that person and creating an entirely different person that would not have the the same consciousness but the more the more i've thought about it the more that i tend to uh on the side of continuity of consciousness just being a fake construct anyway (laughs) and then at that point i just try not to think about it anymore (laughs) (laughs) Uh, that's the best state you can get to for all philosophical matters isn't it just just don't think about it go and have an ice cream um, <laughs> yeah, the, the like uh, it went once you start going into the rabbit hole of well, maybe the whole meanness of me, maybe the whole ego is fake. Actually, then that's kind of a dark road <laughs> to, to, to go down to philosophic, uh, philosophically speaking. So yeah. um, we'd uh, we'd probably better get back on topic, otherwise we risk turning into the Pondercast. Yes. Copper proposes a test. Hmm. Uh, so the test proposed uh, is that you mix. What was it that you mix blood that yeah, was you ta- known you take, to be effe- infected? Uh, no, no. It's you. You take a sample of everyone's blood, uh-huh. and you mix it with the pure, uncontaminated blood that they've got like lying uh-huh. around. Yeah. And if it reacts in some way, and yeah. we know it would because we've seen Blair watch. You know his. Uh, cell transformations then yes. they'll they'll be able to see who is and who isn't human would would it automatically react though is the bit that i don't understand so or could it just not could it just decide not to how how intelligent is just a, a few cells of thingness so McCready's blood tests later on in the film mm-hmm. and uh, some stuff from the novel kind of backs up the idea that um, the bigger the piece of it, the more intelligent it is overall. Right. So, I mean, spoilers, I guess, but mm-hmm. when you get to the um, the blood test later on, yeah, um, because the, the blood is like a little tiny chunk of the thing, it's just going to react in 
a primal way to uh, whatever happens rather than knowing that it should pretend to be just separate blood tissue. I think it's a legit test because um, like one cell is automatically going to try and like react with another cell yeah. and so on and so forth until it's back up to thinking strength. I guess I never really, uh, and we are jumping ahead a bit, but I guess I never really read it like that. I thought of it more like, um, well, like th- those cells are kind of different in a sort of way, and they have reflexes, unlike like regular blood cells don't have reflexes, right? And if you, mm. uh, like, even if I was had a really good reason not to scream if you stab me in the arm i'd still scream <laughs> like, mm. uh, and so i feel like that that was what i was getting out of that test that happens later um, i mean that 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 is that is an interpretation of it as well i mean as you know as valid as anything else because mm-hmm. hey we're just making up stuff about a 40 year old sci-fi film <laughs> <What can> you... <laughs> a 40 year old sci-fi film based off an 80 year old book <laughs> <laughs> That's true. I mean, it is actually possible that we're now thinking about this deeper than any of the writers <laughs> ever thought about this. Um, I I do think the idea of the blood serum test is very clever. Um, in the book, they plan to test the blood samples with rabbit blood or dog blood, because if the animals aren't human immune, then uh, their blood will react automatically against our blood. But they find out that the rabbits and the dogs have already all been assimilated by the thing. In fact, all of their livestock has. So, <laughs> <laughs> so they, they, they kill them all. Uh, <laughs> I'm, um, I'm really pleased that uh, when we were watching this through, you noticed that the keys have reappeared in this scene. The keys. The saga yes. of the keys continues. So this is the thing that um, I think is going to take up the bulk of the rest of the podcast. So if you're n- not interested in a lengthy discussion about the location of some keys, then you can maybe just skip to the next um, podcast. Why would you? Would've... Why why would you even be listening to this podcast if you weren't interested <laughs> in a lengthy <laughs> discussion about the location of some keys? <laughs> okay, so. Um, so yeah, in this uh, little bit, uh, Gary hands the key. Who does he hand the keys to? Actually, he gives, he, them, hands- he gives them to Copper so that he can open the fridge with the blood in it. Right, that's right. So, um, but the yes, the last time we saw the keys, I think, was when earlier uh, Windows drops the keys. That's upon right. Noticing Bennings. So it's it's very interesting because Gary has them back. So um, yeah. Well, the, but what's also interesting about it is that w- w- when he's talking later on about what happens with the keys when he gives them out, he doesn't think that there's anything unusual about what has happened with the keys. So whatever happened with the keys, he didn't really clock that they were missing for some time. Yeah, that that's that's very interesting as well. So... From from our the keys timeline, yeah. Windows Windows sees Bennings being transformed and drops mm-hmm. the keys in a fright. Then we lose track of the keys for um you know half an hour of film. Yeah. Then they turn back up on Gary's belt, and Gary doesn't bring up the fact that they've been missing. So what happened to them? Yeah. So I, I all I can think of is that someone who either knew 
that the keys were there in that room or someone either well they either knew that the keys were there in that room or they noticed them later hmm. uh, dropped and decided to take advantage so um I'm going to ask you to hold fire on further key-related discussion for just a few minutes. Okay. They're going to crop back up very soon. Inside, the blood is leaking out of the fridge. Sabotage. Hmm. So, I mean, here I thought... Would the thing have necessarily known to sabotage the blood fridge? Probably? I mean, they all must know that they have blood stored mm. yeah a, a question i read somewhere was uh, why do they have blood and obviously it's in in case one of them is injured and needs a transfusion of blood it's not like you can mm. just drive them to the hospital they'll be isolated for months and months and months yeah so yeah so they must all be aware that it exists even you know if just peripherally this is a thing on antarctic bases off the top of my head no but i i would certainly imagine they do have supplies of blood for transfusion. Mm. I mean, because yeah, there's a there's a Russian surgeon called Leonid Rogozov, right? Mm-hmm. And um, he's famous for taking part in a Soviet Antarctic expedition, and he's the only medical officer on the base. And he had to perform an appendectomy on himself, right? Because he recognised that he had the signs of appendicitis, and had to remove his own appendix with like, you know, the help of some, you know, geologists who were just hanging around the place. Uh, what a nightmare. Um, yeah. But um yeah, it went very well and he recovered fine. Um but you've got to think like when they're preparing one of these Antarctic expeditions, they have to take everything with them. And I'm I would be astonished if they don't have like a fridge full of blood. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean it, it keeps for a while, I think, if you chill it down and chilling things down is what antarctica is all about baby true (laughs) not probably has to be kept at like the right temperature you probably can't just sling it outside and hope that the penguins don't get to it (laughs) yeah john carpenter says that this scene um was his biggest nightmare for him as a director because he came into the set and found all 12 men waiting there ready to act with lines (laughs) (laughs) he's like all right how do do i do this It's uh, yeah. When there's a lot of because there's a lot of people talking over each other as well, mm. and that's that feels like it would be hard to manage. Mm. Something that I have found myself noticing just as a result of watching segments of this film in excruciating detail. Uh, moments, that, I think. Uh, <laughs> yes, yeah, watching moments of this film in uh, excruciating detail is uh, I'm thinking a lot more of how difficult certain things must be to to have come together in the way that they do. Oh, absolutely. Mm. But even like simple things, even simple things like filming a bunch of men arguing in a room. Yeah. I mean, or or like that bit earlier where, um, mccready like looks at blair then walks out into the snow so um Mm -hmm. you know the bit where he looks at blair and walks to the door is filmed in a set in los angeles and the bit where he walks out of the cabin is filmed in british columbia earlier or later yeah there's a whole kind of uh invisible logistics thing in filming stuff that seems like a nightmare because yeah because if 
I, I guess if you noticed it, it wouldn't have been done very well, right? No, 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 absolutely. I mean, and that's why a lot, a lot of people, I think, assume that films are just filmed, you know, in order. Like you'd start yeah. at the beginning. They can be done that way, but it's so inefficient that um, it makes so much more sense to split them up. The only trouble is the more split up it becomes, the harder it is to keep in your head everything. Yeah. The blood fridge has been locked and then relocked. The men argue about who could have done it. Do you want to go nuts about keys more? Let's do it. All right. So as we were saying slightly earlier, the keys make their reappearance here on Gary's belt. Um, well, just proceeding to this, uh, Gary gave them to Copper. Copper came in here to open the blood fridge and the blood is pooling all over the floor. Yeah. So um, the the sequence of events here that I think must have happened is that the keys were dropped earlier by Windows uh, mm-hmm. when he notices Bennings. Uh, then someone uh, either knew those keys were there or noticed them later, yep. um, picked them up, sabotaged some blood, but then knew that they didn't want to be identified as the person who gave the keys back to Gary or gave the keys to back to um, someone else who gave them to Gary. They, they, they didn't want to leave a trace that they mm. had the keys at any point, basically. Yeah. And so I imagine what they must have done then in that case is just quietly slipped them back to Gary um, in a way that he wouldn't have been suspicious and probably just hoped, uh, correctly hoped, I think, that in the whole confusion of everything that was happening, it slipped everyone's mind that the keys had got just not been with Gary for a certain period. I mean, um, Charles makes a really interesting point because Gary does say someone could have lifted the keys off me and mm. Charles says they're always clipped to your belt. Mm. So, I mean, it does, it, the film does yeah. seem to be throwing a lot of suspicion on Gary at this point because, mm. you know, he, he had the keys. Like, you know, um, I, I imagine if anyone had gone, oh, while Bendings was transforming, we found these keys, here they are, Gary would immediately point them out at this point and say, yeah. uh, you know, Clark told me he found these keys, and that would be very suspicious. There's a little thing I wanted to draw your attention to, but I didn't um, during our watch of it earlier, is that um, when they're all talking about the keys, uh, Windows looks very guilty. <laughs> because he's he's remembering that he dropped the keys, and like from that point onwards, who knows where they went. And right. Because, I mean, what I was going to say is that the obvious person would be windows at Mm. this point because uh, he he might not necessarily have remembered that he dropped the keys at that point but he might have remembered and then oh of course back to get them later oh of course that's that's a huge logical problem with what i just said is that um Mm. if the person who went back and got the keys and returns gary is windows yeah then that's fine because gary would have got given the keys to windows got the keys back from him and probably just that slips his mind. Mm. But um, for all the time that they aren't on screen and we don't know what's happened to them, they could be anywhere doing anything like unlocking the blood safe. Mm-hmm. Not a safe, it's a fridge. Um, 
what if the keys themselves are the thing? Um, (laughs) (laughs) Um, Along that line, um, I was reading a thing online where someone was suggesting that why does it need the keys anyway? I mean, it could just grow like a... That's true. Yes, yes, I'll let you have that one. Why doesn't it just grow a tendril and spear the blood bags through the hinge or something? You know, it Mm. doesn't necessarily have to... But I suppose that's even more suspicious if uh, you're just standing in front of the fridge. Uh, like, I can't move for a little while, guys. I'm just going to hang out here. Just ignore that thing coming out of my butt. Yeah, just uh, <laughs> just back onto the fridge. Just, I just thought I'd lean against this fridge and uh, scratch yeah. my leg on it. You know, you know how yeah. we humans do, we fellow humans. <laughs> <laughs> oh, is that enough talking of keys? I don't know. I don't know. Is it is it enough talking about keys? I don't suspect Gary for future knowledge reasons, mainly, <laughs> uh, but also um, just because I think it would have been easy enough just for someone to swipe the keys off the floor, mm-hmm. do what they need to do with them, and then at some point later put the keys on gary's desk or something like that and gary would have thought oh they've returned my keys to me yeah a a thing that we haven't addressed is um if there was something suspicious about the keys like they just turned up on his desk and you go oh i thought they were on my belt or you know he just found them on the floor in the hallway yeah he wouldn't point that out right now to a group of angry men because they won't believe him yeah and (laughs) it casts more suspicion on him yeah that that's true and um yeah, I, I just feel like at the time that the keys were missing, they had bigger problems to worry about. So it would have been really easy for the keys just to go on a little adventure for a little while, while nobody was really paying attention to that. I suppose something else to think about, and I don't have really the memory to think about it, uh, is that we can probably figure out who definitely didn't sabotage the blood because we, we can probably keep fairly decent track of where most people have been mm. since that key dropping incident. There must only be a few people who would have had the time to slip away and do something like that. What I'm hearing is that you want me to go and rewatch that bit of the film and see if I can figure out who had the opportunity to grab the keys. Yeah, I I would be interested in who actually, yeah, who had the opportunity to, to do it and whether that tracks with who I think might be infected or isn't infected at the moment. Just before we move on from the keys, Copper gets a fantastic accusatory glare at Gary here after he says, um, as soon as I'm finished, I return it right away. And his head snaps around to glare at Gary. It's such a great <laughs> shot. I love it. Yeah. It's uh, like uh, it's like they're playing verbal tennis. <laughs> <laughs> the men start to fight. Yeah, so there's like, a heated discussion in which I'm not sure what words are necessarily being said through uh, throughout all of this, but they are basically getting very heated, and Windows doesn't like it. That's true, because what happens next is that Windows runs away through the base, and they chase him. So, like, Windows panicking and running here. Um, yeah. It's sort of interesting, because I wonder what would have happened to all the men if he hadn't. 
because they were, were tugging and pulling at each other. So they're they're literally on the verge of breaking out into a full fist fight. Yeah, it seems like none of this that is happening right now seems useful at all. <laughs> like, mm. uh, it, it, they're, so they're just kind of haven't starting to have a real scuffle. Windows runs away to get a gun to what end i'm not sure yeah i mean you say it's like it's not useful but it is accurate i mean i I certainly if i was in that situation i would be at the screaming and crying point by now oh yeah no i'm not saying it's not plausible or anything Mm. like that i'm just saying that it's not uh like none of what happens here is doing any of them any good ones whatsoever Windows breaks into the gun cabinet and grabs a shotgun. See, what? what's he even going to do with a shotgun? I mean, I suppose they don't have that much knowledge at the moment about what harms the thing, but I think they understand at the moment that they are r- resilient and that like, just shooting someone who is disguised as the thing probably isn't good enough. I mean... Would it trigger, like, you know, its full-on transformation, though? I mean, he shoots the dog, and it doesn't trigger the dog, does it? Um, Mm. It's interesting. The weapons are there. Why do you think there's a case full of shotguns in an Antarctic base? Um, You know, that's a really good question. Um, They're actually from the original novel. Uh, The weapons are there in case the men want to go out and hunt skewer gulls or penguins. So I guess that's, I guess things were simpler in the eighties. <laughs> Why did you ding me? Uh, you said um, that um, things were simpler in the eighties. I suppose. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, if you wanted to just pop outside and murder some of the incredibly rare wildlife in the place you'd been sent to study <laughs> that, that was fine yeah um it, you, you make a good point i guess i just didn't really question the case full of guns um i mean but... there's 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 really no reason to have it aside from hunting if you want to do that but um yeah it's not like there are polar bears yeah but there's Gar- quite a few of them how many guns are there in that uh, there's quite a lot i don't know i'll i'll go i'll go and count them and let you know <laughs> Yeah, so they're envisioning a scenario where, like, half the base would just go off on a little hunting jolly. Maybe you, well, you've got to have something to get you through the long Antarctic winter, aside from pot and um, monopoly. <laughs> they got they got poker. They got um, Windows can play the guitar. Yeah, they got that. Um, they got those. They got that game show. Oh yes, uh, the Monty Hall problem that's not what the yeah. show was called <laughs> yeah <laughs> let's say it was called the monty hall problem um <laughs> i think it was called the monty hall experience with monty hall it was called let's make a deal um <laughs> let's make a deal yeah they got loads of back episodes of let's make a deal <laughs> gary has a standoff with windows now do you think gary would have really shot windows if he hadn't put the gun down oh i absolutely think he would have done yeah hmm. do you think yeah that would have made him seem more or less suspicious to all of the other men. Um, 
I don't know, um, but I I feel like it, he's already been demonstrated to be the sort of person who will not hesitate to shoot someone if he feels mm. like it's necessary. Yeah, an ex-military man. Yeah. Speaking of which, Gary is under suspicion and gives up the base command. So, um, first of all, he tries to pass it off to Norris, uh, who says he isn't up to it. He doesn't like the stress. But also, it's maybe the first suggestion that there's something wrong with Norris. He has a medical condition. Mm-hmm. So, why Norris, though? Why is Norris the choice? Um, I think it's just because of how bland and nondescript he is. Yeah. I think I, every, I, everyone likes him. He doesn't he hasn't done anything, you know, um out of character. Mm. Also his role isn't in any way directly involved with figuring out which of them is the thing or not. Like like they couldn't have given it to Fuchs because Fuchs isn't is deeply involved in figuring out a new test to determine yeah. which of them is the thing. Yeah, I mean that much makes sense. I, I just guess my worry is that he doesn't seem to exude any sort of authority at all. Yeah, but I think that might be why they've chosen him. Yeah, maybe. Um or it may just be that he is next in line of command. I'm I'm assuming he's not actually because of the way Gary says I don't see anyone objecting to you, like, you know, it's not a done deal. But yeah, he doesn't Take it. Yeah, too stressful a job, and we'll find out why later. Charles wants it, but nobody trusts Charles. <laughs> He's way too impetuous to be given a gun. Yeah, I mean, I think based on some of his behavior so far, maybe that's true. Yeah. Mm. It ends up with McCready, of course, who I think McCready has stood up excellently to the command role so far. I mean, because yeah. he talked Gary and Windows down just before this. Yeah. He maybe just seems a little bit too keen for it in this scene, though. Mm. Like, he takes that gun very quickly. Yeah. I rather think it's because Charles wants it. Right. <laughs> he wants to get it away from him. That's the, the sort of impression I'm getting. That's fair. And he says, you know, Maybe it belongs with someone who's a bit more even-tempered, and I i don't necessarily think I'd call McCready even-tempered, but he sure is a bit more stoic than Childs. Yeah, I mean, he does kind of wreck that uh, chess machine earlier just because he lost a game. <laughs> it's fine, none of them saw that. Yeah. <laughs> night falls. So, um, night has fallen. And now the film will remain in darkness until the end. Right. Um, this here is like another example of how the passage of time gets more and more confused as the film goes on, as the men get tireder and tireder. Like, Peter, how long do you think has gone by for these men now since they, you know, were disturbed by a dog? Uh, I don't remember specifically, but I feel like there's been at least one night already so far, right? Hmm. Well, so this is the, the we're coming up on the second night, maybe. I mean, I'd peg it closer to closer to five, actually. Really? Yeah, because they're going back and forth to places. Um, but you you don't really know. That's the thing. I was trying to figure out how to end that sentence without saying that, but 
Then I just said the name of the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, ah, I said the name of the podcast. No, no, the the name of the podcast is Here's the Thing. Oh, shit. I don't even know what the name (laughs) of the podcast is. (laughs) Fuck. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to take my tablets. Um, so yeah, I, I had not got the impression that that much time had passed Mm. to be honest, but I don't know. I, 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 it's not entirely clear. Yeah. I thought that there'd been a, uh, one night had passed and then uh, I I would have said three maximum was my mm. kind of perception of how much time has passed but you think it's maybe close to five yeah i mean three three to five is where i would peg it uh probably on the higher end it actually just gets worse and worse from here on in because with perpetual night you don't know when stuff is happening whatsoever yeah. the men go outside to burn the blood bags so that, that's an interesting thing that they choose to do clearly this blood has been contaminated so let's burn it mm. Yeah, that that makes sense. Although I do think that they should be questioning the effectiveness of burning as a method at this point, because they they have, I believe, some evidence that burning is not good enough. Yeah, they. Um, I mean, they've definitely seen the thing that they brought over from the Norwegian camp come back yeah. to life, and yeah. that was thoroughly burned. This scene was originally filmed in the rec room, but it was reshot outside because. Um, John Carpenter saw an assembly cut of the film and was worried that the movie was a bunch of men talking indoors. Mm. McCready's I Know I'm Human speech is absolutely iconic to me. It's like one of my favorite bits of the entire movie, maybe my favorite bit, mm. um, where he he lays out the rules for the remainder of the film, doesn't he? You know, um, yeah. I know I'm human. Some of you are things. You can't all be things because you just attack me. So yeah. now we have to figure out who's a thing. Yeah, it feels like um, this is very clearly signaling to the audience, okay, this is what the rest of this film is going to be about now. Mm. Um, and, uh, yeah, it uh, it kind of frames the, the next lot of action nicely, I think. On the uh, DVD commentary, Carpenter here says that he thinks the characters from this film reflect their time, just like Howard Hawks is did from the original film. So, you know, they're embodying the paranoia of the Cold War, basically. Right. McCready isolates the men who are under suspicion. Um, I was wondering what we thought of the choices here, because while the choices make sense for everything that's just, just happened, with the discussion about the keys, and also just the fact that, that Clark has been with the dogs, I mm. guess, is is the thinking there, then... But there is a lot of reason to be suspicious about other people as well. Basically, anyone who oh, yeah, was no. in the base for any length of time with uh, with that dog ro- running around in it. You're absolutely right. This is very reactionary. That yeah. um, the the three people they go to as thinking of, you know, possibly the thing are um, Gary, who had the keys to get into the blood safe, Copper, who had the yeah. keys to get into the blood safe, and Clark, who you know. Blair had pretty much like put a flashing light over his head and said, Clark's the thing. So yeah. um, I, I was looking at this thing and thinking of, uh, uh, of one of those hidden information games we've talked about before and thinking about how, if I now 
was one of those three, and I knew that I wasn't infected. Hmm. I'd be so frustrated about how <laughs> evidence against that could be pointing towards other people as being disregarded at this point. Peter, I just want you to know, like on a personal basis, if we're ever in a situation like this, it's nothing personal, but I am going to kill you as quickly as possible, just just to avoid having to listen to your reasoning either way, because it, it's been proven that I I can't tell whether you are, <laughs> whether you are or whether you aren't suspicious. Uh, I, I just want to say that I, I I want you not to do that, please. Um, <laughs> it'll it'll be fine. This will never happen. I mean, you know, it's twenty twenty, so it probably will happen. Mm. Um, <laughs> I've got a note here saying that uh, you've used your terrible future foreknowledge to know that Gary has been falsely accused here. Yes, I do know that. Mm. I don't know about the other two but because of what we talked about before I I also don't think that Clark yeah if we look at your notes you say Clark is a Clark is a no and uh, Copper is a maybe because we just don't have that much information about him um, I don't think Copper is either um which is interesting because I thought that one of those three were hmm. who end up getting tied up then who gets into the blood safe? Ooh. Uh, I don't think Copper... So the reason I don't think Copper is, apart from I believe that later in the film he gets attacked in some way. Hmm. I, I feel like that happens. Future knowledge. And I, th- I think I have future knowledge of that. Scream. I mean, you can tell me that, uh, but the, whether I'm off base here, but there's a very... Um, well a memorable, known. a memorable scene is in it, which Copper is injured. Yes, you're correct. Yes, there's a memorable scene in which <laughs> Copper is injured later, which makes me think he's not infected. But the other reason, there are other reasons that I don't think he's mm. infected, uh, uh, which we'll we'll get into, I guess, when we talk about who's infected or not. Hmm. I mean, foreknowledge aside, um, mm. the film is heavily pointing a finger at Gary, and um, yeah. Uh, like you know, he is the only person who could have got to that blood. His, um, his, oh, somebody could have lifted the keys off me. Thing. I mean, they are literally clipped to his belt in front of him. That would be really, really very hard to pickpocket. That. I mean, it's a set of keys. It will make a noise, right? Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I, I, I know, but like, think, but this doesn't necessarily make me, um believe him less even without the foreknowledge because i'm thinking okay so i am the person who is in charge of these keys mm. and i know that i'm not infected like uh, like making the assumption that i know that i'm not not infected um but i know that these keys have been used at this point the only thing that i can say is maybe they got lifted from me and i didn't mm. know there's like there's no other yeah i mean he doesn't know windows drop them yeah there's nothing else you could say about it you'd have yeah. to just suppose that maybe you didn't notice they got lifted from you mm. so i don't uh, think that that's necessarily suspicious no 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 you're right i suppose um mm. I will say that um, uh, even when 
I had, even when I was a bit less familiar with this film than I am now, I would say, I feel like I never was extremely suspicious of Gary. Um, Hmm. uh, I feel like there's a pretty decent explanation for everything that he says and does. Hmm. In the film, so I I I I never really felt like he was genuinely hiding something. I felt like he was more confused and just trying to do his best. Oh, Gary, that's uh, that's the mood we all have for twenty twenty. Yeah. Inside, Gary, Copper, and Clark are sedated. So, um, this is camera operator Raymond Stella again being injected. <laughs> yeah, on camera. I feel like this has got to be different from the I think it's three people including at least Gary who are tied to a chair like later on Um, so I feel like this has got to be a different three people to that Gary is one of them yeah yep you're right Gary is one of them but um, Mm. it's more or less everybody who ends up tied to a tied to a couch and you'll find out why we'll get to it yeah well yeah i think i'm confused about that section of the film because i i I think i thought it was these three people and then Mm. i was confused because i'm pretty sure at least one of them is the thing in that scenario but Mm. i don't think that any uh, at the moment i don't believe that gary copper or clark are the thing at this stage elsewhere mccready records a message to hide uh, so the only thing that I thought about this was that why would anyone agree to let anyone else out of their sight at this point? Yeah, it's an interesting point, actually. I've never really thought about that. Uh, but he does sort of lope off on his own for a bit and then come back and be like, hi, guys, I'm still McCready. <laughs> yeah, because I feel like at this point you'd have to have rules. Like, I, I would say at least three people there mm. at the same time and then you'd you'd at least have a reasonable hope that you're not they're not all going to be the thing <laughs> i think in the next moment of the film uh they will start laying down a set of rules like that but i think, yeah. I think maybe this is the last uh this is the last sneaking off on your own you can do squeak, squeaking under the wire like uh returning from france to avoid lockdown um yeah cuz i feel like the these rules should have been established earlier when when macready was laying down the law but maybe he knew that he wanted to hide this recording away as a mm. kind of contingency plan or something i i don't know it just feels it just feels a bit weird to me that nobody uh, before that would have said well, well hang on surely we can't really afford to let each other out of our our sight at the moment we if it were me i'd be proposing well maybe it's not pr- practical that we are all in the same place all the time like going mm. shuffling around together um but could we split into half i feel like three is still too too few actually but maybe like if they split into fives or something like that, that would be uh, workable. Because the worry would be like you can't split them into pairs because if one of them is the thing, that's a problem. <laughs> yeah, um, that's a really bad idea. Isn't it? <laughs> um, but also, you can't really split them into threes because if two of the three <laughs> other thing, that's also a problem. 
Yeah, yeah. And um, interestingly, in the novelization, which we discussed earlier, they do get this set of rules laid down. I think so. Maybe it was in the original script, and yeah. you know, ended up being lost a little bit with the script revisions. But the rules they come up with are everyone's going around in threes. Yeah, and also, regardless of who you're with, you can't be away for more than twenty minutes. Like they sap an alarm that sounds every twenty minutes, and everyone has to go back to the rec room. That makes and sense. because they they think based on Blair's notes that it takes about an hour for the transformation process to occur. So. Yeah. You know, they're, they're going and doing all the things they need to do to fix up the base and like repair the helicopters and whatnot, but they are doing it in 20 minute chunks and then returning. Yeah. Uh, like if you need to go to the toilet, like, um, like in, in the novel, Clark has to go to the toilet and they, they wheedle him off, you know, um, that mm-hmm. sounds weird now that I've said it. They, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's, that's not English slang for anything. They just take, they just take him to the lavatory and he, does does his business his weedle yeah his we- he, he performs his weedle <laughs> yeah um from a technical point of view this scene was added like late into the filming um yeah mccready was shot with the door open in the background behind him to just increase suspicion um john carpenter thought of having like a shadow fall across the doorway but like yeah, didn't <laughs> just <laughs> <laughs> Interestingly, McCready says uh, Windows found some long johns, uh, but it was actually Knowles who found them, if you remember. Yeah, yeah. I, I didn't what, really think of that. I wonder why he says the wrong name. I'm, um, I'm wondering whether that's like a, a script error, but you would have assumed that if it's this scene was added late in production that they would have had that down. Or is he just confused because he's tired? Yeah, maybe. I I didn't notice, certainly, but I... Uh, We've established that I'm not very good at the names, so uh, I, I, I didn't remember that it was someone different. In fact, both times that somebody in this film finds a pair of shredded long johns, it's Knowles. It's starting to seem like a, I don't know, like a sex thing. I don't know. You think that he actually deliberately seeks out long johns? <laughs> yeah, yeah he's, uh, he's got a big collection of yeah. used long johns. <laughs> yeah. From his perspective, this... Um, <laughs> Score! <laughs> This whole situation is great because it means that there's going to be an abundance of long johns that are shortly going to be available. So I'm not sure if we spoke about this when we saw Bennings be transformed, but McCree says we think it rips through your clothes when it takes you over. Yeah. So does that mean that the clothes they're wearing are part of the thing or like when they've done the transformation, do they have to then quickly go and find a new pair of Palmer's long johns or whatever? You know what I mean? Well, I mean, we did discuss this briefly, didn't we? Yeah. That. Um, so did Bennings start to change and then just quickly go and get Grab dressed? Grab a coat, yeah. Or, or like how much how much clothing is there under that coat, in fact? Mm. It's, it's, it's not entirely clear. Yeah, I... I don't know. I get the impression that it's it's not replicating clothes or anything else that's not uh, organic. So then, that that comes with an interesting corollary thought, right? That if you if you just gather up all the clothes that there are to be found on the base and burn them, now the thing can't take anyone over because they'll be naked or clothed in shredded rags. Wait, what? <laughs> I don't follow. All right, so um, Bennings is sitting there, you know, um, in his trousers, long johns and shirt, yeah. right? 
mm-hmm. the thing harpoons him through all of his clothes to yeah. transform him, right? Yeah. So now now he becomes Benning's thing, yeah. covered in like blood and gore, like all of his clothes are ruined. Yeah. So he has to replace those clothes before he can do anything, right? Because otherwise and that's where we assume these shredded long johns that found at the start of the film like come from. So Norris yeah. is in his room getting ready for bed. The thing eviscerates him. Yeah. He shreds his long johns. But Norris is in his bedroom, so like he can just pop on a fresh pair, right? right. After the transformation. Yeah. So if they just find all of the clothes that are in the Antarctic base, right, except the ones they're wearing now. Yeah and destroy them, then the thing can't take anybody else over, because... Oh, you see what I, I see. mean, right? Yeah. I, I see. Like, I had interpreted it differently to what, what you said. I was thinking, like, they in, incinerate all of the clothes in the base, including the ones they're wearing, so they're just now going around <laughs> naked. And I'm like, how does that help anything? Now it's just much easier for the thing, this, surely. This, this, film, this film is suddenly, <laughs> suddenly a lot harder to rate by the BBC. Yeah, it, um, it, not only is it now much easier for the, the thing to get into disguise, but the film has got a whole lot sexier. Um, <laughs> yeah, this is a uh, this is where it diverts into becoming the thing porn parody. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. The 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 naked version of the thing. It was it was just a bad plan to begin with. I felt uh, like um, uh, you ever you ever heard the joke about the Muppets? The thing. Yes. <laughs> so um you know you're just watching the thing and um every so often a character is replaced with a muppet version of them and no yeah. one notices <laughs> yeah well i suppose it would kill some of the suspense oh <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, dear um but yeah no you are absolutely right though if they just got rid of all of the clothes that they weren't <laughs> wearing yeah, that would present a real problem for the thing. I believe that, that that's a plan that they hadn't considered. Yeah, um, I mean, unless, unless it is legitimately simulating the clothes as well, which they, they don't know. But then you get into the whole thing of, I'm just going to let you ding me on that. Um, because you've you've missed about five at this point. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, I'll I'll fix them in edits. <laughs> um, oh, actually, could you just act um, act annoyed now, and I'll I'll just cut that in. Grr, I'm so annoyed that you did that. <laughs> Excellent. So yeah, then you get into the whole problem of if it can imitate clothes, then what else can it imitate? Perhaps some keys, maybe. <laughs> maybe the keys did do a solo oh, walkabout. We, we never thought about that. What if it just yeah. saw the keys and then it shaped yeah. one of its fingers into like a key? <laughs> yeah, it imitated the keys, unlocked. <laughs> no need for a particular person to have got the keys. It's just thing keys. Oh my god. Oh, I think we've gone too deep down this rabbit hole. Yeah, I, I feel I'm I feel much more comfortable thinking that it cannot imitate clothes. <laughs> yeah. But uh, you are right, that presents a kind of solution to the problem that nobody really gets to in the film. They highlight this a bit in the book where they point out that the long johns that they're wearing are all synthetic fibres. So they're assuming that it just can't copy non-biological material. Yeah. Uh, and I'm just going to end this section by saying McCready's amazing line here, nobody trusts anybody now. And we're all very tired. 
Mm. Which is a great line, and it just sums up 2020 at this point, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so um, we're, we're in an interesting spot in this film, and uh, uh, I think there's a good reason to be uh, suspicious of a, a, a number of people at this point. Mm. Right, well, that wraps up that um, subdiv- partition. That wraps up that wraps up that partition. There we go. I uh, I got it. I remembered the word. It's an hour and a half later, but I remembered the word. <laughs> <laughs> you know what happens now at this point, don't you? Uh, yes, you're going to ask me what happens next. Yeah, what happens next? And I'm not going to give the right answer. Um <laughs> Because uh, I really don't know. Uh, I think that that is just about the end of that little recording that McCready is doing. Although, oh, actually, no. Hang on a second. Because there's, there's always a funny bit about this bit of the recording mm. that I remember. Um, and I think that the very next thing that happens is that McCready, for some reason that I guess we can talk about next time, rewinds the recording a little bit. Yeah, he, he, re- he rewinds the recording a little bit over the last thing that he said, and then possibly records something else over it. So that's what you think is happening next. McCready rewinds the recording and records something over it. Yeah, I, I, I think that happens next, because I was expecting it to happen during the bit that we were watching and it didn't yet and i think maybe it's just what's about to happen yeah yeah okay okay that that works for me Mm -hmm. who's infected peter so i think none of the people who are directly under suspicion at the moment gary copper and clark uh are not infected in my opinion clark for reasons that we talked about in Mm -hmm. uh, in previous episodes of this and uh, Copper, because of secret future knowledge, yes, but also because Ooh. I d- uh, also because I don't think that as an infected uh, person that he would have gone into detail about a good test mm. uh, for the thing um, in the I mean, conversation I'm... earlier. I mean, I, unless he unless he already broke the blood safe, and he was like, "I think we should use the blood from the blood safe." <laughs> I mean, sure, but um, but why would he even draw attention to the idea that there was a plausible blood test? Um, why? Because um, he could have really plausibly just said, "I look, we just don't know enough ab- ab- about this thing to understand what a a, a good test would be." Um, I mean, he does have. Fuchs there as well, who may have just thought of it on his own, if uh, left to his own devices. Maybe I, I, I just got the impression that that he w- wouldn't have that that wouldn't have been necessary to do mm. if he was uh, if he was infected. He could have put, been perfectly under the radar and just said, "I I just don't know," and nobody would have really felt like that was a suspicious thing. What about Windows? I mean. Um... He's he's currently in your not infected list, but you know he um he didn't tell anyone he dropped those keys. He uh, ran to get a shotgun. Yeah, um, I mean, I suppose 
I'm thinking of him as panicked more than I'm thinking of him as infected hmm. um, at the moment. I don't know though. I, I'm gonna. I'm putting him in. Uh, I think I'm putting him in maybe right at this point. But I'm. I'm not. I. I, I don't feel like. I think that he's infected at the moment. I don't think anyone else has changed really. I I do feel like there are probably more people who are infected at this point, mm. but I don't know how to tell them apart. I I, I I don't feel like we've got a bunch of information that is making any of that clearer. The, the only thing that I'm happy with is that I still really don't think that Clark is infected. I still believe that Copper and Gary are not infected. Um, I also believe that McCready is definitely not infected at this point. Um, I mean, he's he's the protagonist, uh, really, yes. isn't he? So, yeah, but more than that, for for the reason that we just saw him make a recording about who is and isn't infected on his own, why on earth would he bother to do any of that if he was infected? It seems fairly. Maybe that's maybe. More than anything else, that is the reason that we're shown McCready on his own at that point. Is that yeah. it's, it's a pretty clear signal to the audience that McCready at this point is safe. Yeah, I suppose that's why John Carpenter said, "Yeah, well, you know, we were going to cast a bit of suspicion on him by having something in the doorway, but then we just decided not to." So, yeah. All right. Well, then it just falls me to ask you what you think of the film so far. You're, we're over an hour in at this point, an hour and four minutes. Well, you know, I'm I'm liking the film more and more the more de- in detail that we go into it. But I'm very suspicious of this now. Uh, this approach that you've that you've thrust upon me to <laughs> to watching uh, watching the thing because I wonder whether it's just you know if if you examine anything closely enough, it's interesting, right? Um, <laughs> if, <laughs> so. <laughs> So am I just uh, am I just learning to uh, to really like the film just because we are looking at it in so much detail and talking about it? I mean, I was thinking about this the other day. By the time we're done with this podcast, surely this is the most in depth discussion anyone has ever had, or uh, anyone has ever committed to recording about the thing. <laughs> I really like, hope so, <laughs> yeah. um, for a number of reasons. Um, so, I mean, how could I come away from that without some sort of appreciation for the film? <laughs> so, yeah, I do. I, I am really enjoying the film, but also I've got this overwhelming feeling that this is a trick. <laughs> you feel like you feel like I've somehow maneuvered you into a trap to, uh, yeah. Yeah. to start like you know the obvious solution to this is to for the next series uh, analyze a film that we both despise. Um. <laughs> I mean, I sure that, that that's a good experiment, <laughs> and see if by the end of it we both love it. Um, yeah, what's what's your least favorite film, Peter? I have to think about that. <laughs> Oh dear. Um, oh, it's a, t- it's a tough question actually because I have seen a lot of bad films. Yeah. <laughs> it would have to be one that um, we genuinely dislike as well because there's a lot of films that are in the category of they're bad but you sort of like them anyway. Yeah. Oh, so um, yeah, going back a bit, there was a time when I was only watching horror movies 
which had an IMDb rating of three stars or less. Mm. And um, I had to stop that because it was actually self-harm. Um, yeah. So- <laughs> Yeah, I'd I'd have to think of uh, what what's a film which I just feel has no redeeming qualities. It, it's not just so bad; it's good. It it's just literally bad. The, uh, I, I, it's hard because I I don't really think about those films. I don't spend any time. The 2012 remake of Total Recall. There you go. That's uh, that's a film completely devoid of merit in any way. I've never seen it, um, and I've only seen half of the original total recall really you've not seen total recall that's no, that's astonishing I'm, I'm it's one of my favorites i'm surprised i haven't forced you to watch it yeah i've i've seen half of total recall because when i was at school uh sometimes towards the end of term they'd let us do fun things hmm. uh, and i don't know what the reasoning behind this was but um the art teacher just decided that they were going to put on total recall um <laughs> Uh, it was 18 for, rated, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> I think so. It might have been 15. I'm not sure. Um, but um, it was definitely a highly rated uh, film uh, in, in that it had a high age rating, not in that it was critically acclaimed. Although I think it probably was. I don't know. Um, um, yeah, no, it was, it, it's a, it's an 18. <laughs> uh, yeah, so the art, the art teacher just put on this film for us to watch, but... Um, because the 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 periods were only an hour long, we really only saw half of it. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I watched half of Total Recall and then have not got round to seeing the rest of it. Did you get to the bit where he meets the three-breasted prostitute? I'm certain that's in the first half of the movie. Uh, I don't remember anything about it apart from the jingle total recall for recall <laughs> yeah the ji- the jingle for r- recall this this is this just goes to demonstrate how all of my memory is wired to remember music and nothing else <laughs> nothing else because <laughs> um, um because i've watched that the first half of that film once and the single thing that i can remember from it is uh for the memory of a lifetime Recall, recall, recall. That's all I remember. That, <laughs> that's not bad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we should we should test this. We should find some other films that you uh you you don't remember and see if there's any musical bits from them. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's but that's another podcast for another day. I should wrap this up now. So saying good night to everyone out there in podcast land. And also, good night to you, Peter, my sinister apprentice. Good night, everyone. Oh, we got to say where we can be found. Oh, shit. Did we forget to do that? Oh, yeah. They listen to the other podcast. It's fine. Oh, God. Um, uh, all right. You can be found on the internet. Just Google uh, Peter Silk brackets, not serial killer. Let's try that again, shall we? Um <laughs> <laughs> You can find me on the internet, uh, on Twitter and things like that under the name Kestrel Pie. That's Kestrel like the bird and pie like the irrational number that starts 3.14159, etc. Good, good, Murray. And you can't find me on the internet because I'm a digital data ghost. Ooh. Ooh. Kieran J. Walsh. Oh, yeah. No shit. There's that too. Thank <laughs> you.